0: there i'm mike some of you know me from the twisted cape some of you know me because i'm just a regular everyday normal motherfucker i don't have a girlfriend my hands my only lover but regardless of how you know me you know i love comics and that's what we talk about on this podcast welcome 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 to mike's big stack Oh, hell yeah, my thickies! Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording, as always, at Thickness Central. We've hit Season 3, Episode 6 of the show, and on this episode, we're doubling up again so we can get to a point where we're back on track and we have one more oversized episode of the show before we get back to the regular-sized weekly goodness as always we start with the city shout outs and there are a lot of new cities this week san jose california missoula montana clovis new mexico thank you all so much for hopping into the show rothwell uk hey thanks sorry about the uh that thing on that one episode so so sorry uk xenia ohio welcome to the show McAllen, texas thanks for joining us and finally cliffside park new jersey thank you so much for listening to the show Thank you all for coming back and checking out this episode. And now we're gonna hop over to Mike's Thickometer. Oh yeah, Mike's Thickometer. So thick this week, I call it Thick Sabin. This week clocks in at a 10 out of 10. Just just so big. It's just so big. What do we do with it? What do we do with the stack? Because it's so just thick. It features 24 books this week and does have a Marvel edge. So this week we're going to go ahead and start with the Marvel books. Starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 5. Spidey gets a measure of payback. I gave this a 4.25 out of 5. As Peter tries to recover, he gets a pep talk of sorts from Felicia with a heavy dose of flirting. She reminds him that he's better when he uses his brain and has fun. Meanwhile, Tombstone deals with accusations that he's teaming up with Spidey from the other crime bosses. Spidey sets Digger after Tombstone's shipment to make up for him not being there when the rose got taken down, and then Pete has a conversation with Tombstone, basically saying that they're even. He even displays empathy towards Tombstone, which Lonnie thinks is just weird. At the end of the issue, Peter has a broken face and goes to see Aunt May seemingly reconciling. Pros are the return to form for Spidey. He's super likable like this, and he's more fun to read. But we're not done with Tombstone. And I don't know what it is, but I like Peter and Felicia together, so maybe we need to head there for just a little bit. Cons are that stuff with Digger. It almost feels wrong because it feels like we're taking advantage of somebody who's a little bit broken mentally. Now we have a look at Avengers number 57. We learn about the Soldier Supreme. I gave this a 3.25 out of 5. This takes place in 1943 as we follow a soldier who goes by Sarge, but his name is Sebastian Sardos, who is the Sorcerer Supreme of this time, and is shipwrecked with a group of fellow soldiers. Mephistos forces beguile him and his fellow soldiers a lot, trying to take the Eye of Agamotto, often ending with some of the soldiers dying. Really, all of the soldiers dying. The cool thing about Sarge is that he has this red, skin-and-teeth-covered demon gun. It's, like, really badass to look at. He does end up burying all of his soldier friends after they die, and is helped by Phoenix, Thor, and Captain Marvel from the shadows. He fights off Mephisto and reteams with his time period friends, Blade, Ghost Rider, who's used a submarine as a way to get around, so badass, and War Thing, basically Man Thing with a helmet and a plant-based gun. It's uh, it's, it's sustainable, y'all, real sustainable. Pros are the cool designs going throughout this book. Everything seems meticulously designed, all with purpose, and somehow we end up caring about a guy we've never met before. Cons are that I'm not sure how this all fits together just yet. Next up, we have a look at Avengers Forever, number seven, a shitload of Steves. I gave this a 3.75 out of five. A bunch of jailed multiversal Steve Rogers run into Mystery Room over and over, get knocked out, and sent back to their cells. They slowly join the cause together, going in greater numbers but inevitably get sent back they unlock the final steve rogers who is a wolverine hybrid and all claim a bunch of cap shields turns out it was a boot camp for captains america being run by robbie deathlock and ant-man who if you remember for this title is tony stark pros are how this book kept you turning the page also the steve designs i loved dog steve he was the goodest boy and it's very well written you care about all the steves i guess you could say that all steves matter. Cons are that what are we going to do with them all? An army of caps doesn't seem all that formidable when Doom's crew has legitimate power. Next up we have Black Panther number seven. T'Challa finds surprising allies. I gave this a 3.75 out of five. T'Challa is being hunted by the state as he meets up with the Dora Milaje again and it's not easy for him. Prime Minister Fulsaid goes against the secret police and makes herself a target and is rescued by a guy named Tosin. Meanwhile, Shuri infiltrates the city and meets Tosin who takes her to his village where he and others have found ways to biologically bond with Vibranium, giving them ridiculous abilities. They all seem to unite to fight for Wakanda. Pros are how the supporting cast gets so developed and new characters get introduced. Cons are how it seems like this issue puts a stake in the heart of T'Challa and Storm, and that's heartbreaking to me. Now we have a look at Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, number two, the mystery around the shield deepens. I gave this a four out of five. Steve and his old crew intercept another radio broadcast as Steve tries to continue to live amongst the people. He eventually goes to protect the forge, a green energy facility in Europe that is going to get hit. He shows up and learns some disturbing info. This mystery organization is filled with people he's fought against and with. As the shadowy organization sends a giant robot or guy in a suit against Steve, Bucky's story deepens as he finds Peggy Carter in Madripoor, blowing her cover. Pros are Steve trying to get to the bottom of this super slick mystery while Bucky is doing his own thing in the shadows. Also, the art is pretty nice. Cons are how this shadow organization thing feels maybe overdone. I'm not sure how to feel about it yet. Now we have Captain America, symbol of truth, number two. Sam unexpectedly teams with Deadpool. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. Sam is on a mission in Latveria attempting to recover super soldier serum. This issue calls it Triple S. And I will too. Uh, He comes across Deadpool, who's hanging captured. They have to fight their way out of this base. Wade reveals that it's actually bio-vibranium that Sam is after. Meanwhile, Falcon rescues Luisa from the clutches of Crossbones and Wolfman, but turns out it's a setup. The issue ends with Wade and Sam being stopped by Latvian warships and one Victor Von Doom. Pros are how quickly this book escalates into a global crisis conspiracy. It's really fun to work through. Also, good use of the supporting cast in the Larger World. Come to the timelines here. Wade is here, but also with Logan? I, I-, I don't know. I also don't know about Sam not getting anywhere near as much focus as he should have in this issue, in my opinion. Now we have a look at Carnage number four. We explore the nine realms and more. I give this a three out of five. Shade, Neely, and Carnage are all zooming through the cosmos at the start of this issue. Shade ends up floating in space while Carnage and Neely end up in Svartalheim. The dark elves go on a hunt and end up with Carnage hunting them. As Shade floats through space talking with Cletus, he gets pulled away by Spiderling into her dimension and she explains that the fate of whole world rests in his hands. As she explains that she can't put the web of destiny back together without him, Neely is stalked and captured by a dark elf that Carnage sent him to kill. Pros are how this seems to have stakes beyond just New York City. I'm curious how Shade fits into what could end up being the Spider-Verse cons are that carnage seems to be an afterthought in this issue i want more carnage in a book about him unlike joker he needs to be on page for at least half the issue for it to work well now we move on to iron man hellcat annual number one centered on patsy we get a little horror i gave this a 3.5 out of 5. patsy has a disturbing dream on the way out to san francisco she meets her friend hetty wolf when she lands They go to a mansion she's supposed to inherit, and Patsy and Hetty have a brief spat, and then go back to being really good friends. They both stay at the mansion, and in the morning, Patsy finds Hetty's room a bloody mess. She calls Tony as her stuffed bunny talks to her, and then she passes out. Tony shows up and finds her passed out on the floor, as Patsy navigates a disturbing dream sequence. Tony joins Patsy by the way of the talking stuffed bunny. Turns out Blackheart is behind all of this, and Patsy gets everyone out. When everyone leaves, Patsy talks to the bunny who she knows is Damon, her first husband, and then punts him several blocks away. Pros are the use of Blackheart, such a cool character that needs more use in my opinion. Cons are how this Tony-Patsy relationship is so slow to develop, it's weird. Now we have Jean Foster and the Mighty Thor number 2, Asgard is attacked, and Amora makes a move. I gave this a 3.75 out of 5. At the start of the issue, we find out how Thor was weakened by the use of poisoned arrows. In present time, forces led by Algrim roll on Asgard. Valkyrie shows up to help turn the tide as Jane finds Dr. Voodoo on Earth. Or Midgard, as they say. Sif and Beta Ray Bell do their part to defend Asgard while Jane seeks counsel. Amora has used the battle to walk into Asgard basically unchallenged and steal the keys to hell. Jane goes to Limbo for answers and runs into Sim when the issue ends. Pros are how Amora outworks everyone on this to get what she wants from Asgard. I also love how the battle is happening with Runa, Sif, and Bill. Cons are how almost easy it seemed to be to take down Thor in this issue. It just feels a little weird to me. Now we have a look at Legion of X number 3, Nightcrawler and Zen become the core of the title. I gave this a 2.75 out of 5. The Skinjacker Switch sees an opportunity to take over Doctor Strange, who has come to Krakoa. Meanwhile, Zen and Nightcrawler meet Legion and Blindfold at the beach, their astral area, and go exploring with Blindfold, while Legion helps a clearly broken juggernaut. Switch gets trapped in the construct of Doctor Strange, remember, Doctor Strange is dead. As they navigate the dream space, Zen gets separated, and they find her in her fantasies, which are in battle, where she kisses Kurt. There's an excellent Ian McKellen joke as Pixie gets cornered and then rescued by Juggernaut, who is trying to be more than just an unstoppable force. Finally, it looks like Banshee has taken Mother Righteous's offer by how he shows up in the dream space. Pros are the mental health aspects of this book. These characters often have trauma that they don't deal with, and it's important to see them get that worked out. Cons are the switch Mother Righteous combo and-, and how it's not working for me. I. I'd like to move on from at least one of them, and it's the one that's the distraction. Now we have a look at She-Hulk number four. Jen has Fight Club and then tries to help Jack. I gave this a four out of five. Jen acts on the Fight Club that she talked about with Titania, and Titania brings Volcana with her. Ben Grimm shows up, and eventually Jen has to talk to Ben about the Fight Club that they've started, and it somehow expands to include Ben and Crusher, who isn't even there. Ben and Jen discuss Ben's legal issues, and when she gets to her office, there are a ton of heroes who need legal advice, but she's not allowed to take superhero clients. Jen talks to Reed before he leaves about a radiation monitor, which he gives her. She meets up with Jack of Hearts and discovers his lists and poems. She gives Jack the radiation monitor. They walk around the city trying to help Jack recover his memories, and they have some meaningful conversation about both of their well-being, and then they get interrupted by a mysterious person who is hunting down Jack. Pros start with the pinup covers. They're gorgeous. Also, this book is fun. It's tightly focused on two characters overall, but it doesn't suffer for it. We don't know who Jen is, or who she wants to be, and it seems like we're all discovering that together. Cons are how, toward the back end, the pacing seems to drag a little. Next up, we have a look at The Variance number 1, a trippy, possibly multiversal story. It give us a 4.25 out of 5. Jess starts out going to a coffee shop where she used to hang out every day. She instead decides to go to a makeup shop where she tries out different lipstick, and when she leaves, she passes out on the street. Daredevil rescues her and tells her to go to Maria's hearing. She decides to go to the hearing, but is haunted that night by Kilgrave's memory. Jess goes back to drinking coffee the next morning as Hammerhead and his goons try to shake down the shop owner. Jess goes to the hearing after whooping some ass and starts reliving issues with the Purple Man. Jess goes to talk to Maria after the hearing and she warns Jess to run and Jess doesn't listen. She goes home and there's someone there. There's another Jess standing over her daughter and immediately sends her into fight mode. The fight is broken up by Captain Ameri-Jess. Pros are how tight the writing is and I expect no less from Gail. It's also beautifully illustrated. Clean lines all over the place, just excellence. Cons are continuity placement. Daredevil is a wildly different place right now, and Luke is doing some big stuff. Where exactly is this? Last two books here on the Marvel side, X-Force number 29, a massive Kid Omega story. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Cerebrax continues to cause issues on Krakoa, starting with Black Tom Cassidy. It tries to hunt down Domino, and Sage turns to Omega Red in a time of need. Logan is picked up by Kid Omega, who straightens him out after the last issue's events. Domino fights until the guys show up, and Kid Omega steps up pretty big. Cerebrax starts to hunt Phoebe and the Cuckoos, and she calls out to Quentin telepathically. Omega Red shows up, and he does some damage, but can't do what he needs to do as Kid Omega shows up. He takes down Cerebrax, and he's killed, but his death is more permanent. He's been wiped from all of Cerebro's banks, making this a true death pros are how much we actually cared about Quentin, and that's a product of good writing by Benjamin Percy. I also like how there's going to be some actual fallout from this unless they find a way to make him come back, which would be a coward's play in my mind. Leave him dead and let the characters around suffer with the loss. Cons are the lack of inclusion of Beast. It's almost like he's been completely taken out of the book despite being the head of the organization of X-Force. Finally here we have a look at X-Men Red number four, Magneto does something huge, and the mutants learn about Zandra's fate. I gave this a 4.25 out of 5. As Magneto takes the Seat of Loss, Sunspot is resurrected. The Great Ring debate having Magneto on the council while Storm goes galactic and has a tense conversation with T'Challa about being lied to about Gentle. In this galactic meeting, it's revealed that Zandra dies and how it will cause war. Being Xavier's daughter, resurrection is mentioned and is challenged. Storm informs them all that it's already been done. When she died, she unleashed a psychic scream meant for Xavier, who obviously resurrected his daughter. Back on Araco, Magneto destroys the backups for both himself and Storm, saying that if they want to be of Araco, they need to let go of the possibility of resurrection. A resurrected sunspot has a conversation with Wrongslide, the name that Rockslide, who was brought back from Otherworld, has now taken, and asks him if he ever has been to Araco. Pros are how this issue is significant to multiple titles, and shows the conviction of a couple of mutants that could be some real danger in Avengers X-Men Eternals Judgment Day. Cons are how I'm not sure about where this stuff with Sunspot and Wrong Slide are going. Now we're going to take a quick break, and after that we're going to jump into the DC books. Stick around. Have you ever been reading through a stack of comics and thought, maybe I should see what the Arkham Asylum game is all about? Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half the characters were? Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode we take a look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at PlayComics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Hey everybody, Sam here from the Twisted Cape. If you haven't already done so, be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's Public page, which we have live right now for you to purchase any and all of your clothing needs with Twisted Cape logos on them. We got shirts, socks, maybe. Wow. We got other shirts with hoods on them, and they have longer sleeves. So warm. Yeah. We got everything you could ever want with Twisted Cape logos on them. So, again, please be sure to check out the Twisted Cape's T Public page. Check out the link in the description, and be sure to pick up your favorite stuff right now. Thanks, everybody. And now, back to Mike's Thick Stack. Yeah, we're back. Hopefully you enjoyed that little break. Uh, Now we're going to go ahead and start with the DC titles. Starting with Action Comics number 1044, the revolution pisses off Mongol and Supergirl and Steel step in for Clark. I gave this a 2.5 out of 5. Clark's forces are expanding and the underground is starting to swell around Superman. Mongol is pissed and starts killing his allies and replacing them. It's a classic look at different types of leadership. Clark's forces keep rolling and gathering steam and information. Finally, Mongol raises Light Ray, who has definitely changed. In the backup, Supergirl and Steeler are working to stabilize Tao la but also are dealing with the oddities of the Genesis fragment. Also, the conduit is returned by Amanda Waller. Pros of the art style and Mongol's brutality. It's fun to look at and I love Mongol being an ass. Cons are that the story has lost some luster for me again. Hopefully that changes by next time I'm out. Now we have a look at Batman number 125. Chip and Jorge start their run. I gave this a four and a half out of five. Bruce and Selina check in, and Bruce realizes he's got to move on. Tim talks to Bruce about the fact that he's been Batman far more than he's been Bruce. Not the first time he's done this. So, Bruce goes undercover at an Iceberg Lounge party and goes against Penguin, who is Clayface in disguise. After some badass maneuvering by Batman, Tim gets shot in the throat and Batman rushes into the hospital where actual Penguin is. Penguin takes Cyanide, and the doctors come in to see Batman trying to save him, except that's not what it looks like. Then we get the activation of Failsafe at the end. Meanwhile, we get a Catwoman backup, where Selina is tasked with finding Penguin's kids. Pros are that Batman is fully back, baby. This creative team has the makings of something truly special, with one of my favorite artist-writer combos. Well done cons of the backups. Maybe just write it into the story instead, especially since Chip is just writing it anyway. Now we have a look at Batman Catwoman number 12, the end of this Tom King miniseries. I gave this a three and a half out of five. Part of the first half of this book is about the relationship between Selina and Helena and how they each look at each other and how they think about Bruce. The rest of the book is the wedding that started like four years ago in Tom King's Batman run. It's actually really sweet and a little tacky, but Lois and Clark are there for their friends as they tie the knot. I'm happy we finally get closure of this story. That said, the Helena stuff is really unresolved. Pros are the strength of the art as well as the actual wedding. Those were both great. Cons are that despite the end of the series, it has a lot of loose ends attached to it. Now we have a look at Dark Crisis. Number 2. Slade Meeks moves, Black Adam steps up, and Hal brings help. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Slade and crew roll on Titan's Tower as Nightwing survives the explosion of the bomb that was sent for him at the end of last issue. Slade is trying to make sure that no one fills the Justice League's place. Slade and Dick throw the fuck down and it's an epic fight until Slade's team steps in to help cheat. Nightwing gives himself to Slade to end all of this, but John shows up and stops the bullet that Slade fires at him. Slade also gets Cyborg Superman to come in to fight John, but Pariah recalls Slade and his crew. Black Adam shows up, saying how he's going to whip everyone into who they should be after expressing his super dad disappointment. In space, Hal and Joe find Kyle Rayner and get him a Green Lantern ring as they rebuild the core. Pros are the brutality of this issue and the art for sure. It looked amazing from start to finish, and it's incredibly brutal. Anyone could have died at any time cons are that prize goals seem really unclear in this context. You restart the multiverse, and then what? This universe and Crisis are synonymous, so you're not going to stop it. Now we have a look at DC vs. Vampires number 7, we learn about a vampire hunter and catch up with the heroes. I gave this a 4 out of 5. The turned heroes attack a convoy of living heroes. This thing looked bad for the living heroes, Janus shows up as a badass vampire killer and wipes everyone out thanks to Firestorm exploding after her stake hits him. Director Bones takes her to a place before he dies, and she finds the Resistance forces who've taken refuge in Kandor. Batgirl is hellbent on taking down Dick Grayson the Vampire Lord, and Constantine says the only way in is through an ally who is being tortured, one Harley Quinn. Pros are how much this series behaves in a fearless way. People die left and right, and it's quite impressive, and looks incredible. I really enjoy so much of the art in this. Cons are that it feels so short and I want more of it, especially since it's a limited series. DC is killing it with alternative universes right now. And speaking of Harley Quinn, we have a look at DC vs. Vampires Killers number one, a Harley centered one shot. I gave this a three out of five. Harley, Catwoman and crew are making a mess in Gotham, finding a way to get richer than possible. Harley generally makes a mess by killing Mad Hatter, and when Jim Gordon shows up, he tries to give her Lex Luthor's blood. Back at home with Catwoman, the two friends have a heart-to-heart and try to figure out what to do. Harley regroups with Clayface and Grundy, only to discover they've been taken out. Back at home, Harley discovers that Catwoman is a vampire as well, where she's bitten. Catwoman dies, but not before learning that Harley injected Lex's blood into her body. Pros are that, at least we know why Harls is so important. This also inflicted some new trauma on a trauma-ridden character, which sometimes feels unfair, but makes good story. Cons are that the Catwoman turn felt incredibly predictable to me. Makes sense, but predictable. Now we have Detective Comics number 1061. We finished the Riddler and Gotham Girl stories. I gave this a 2.5 out of five. This story is messy. Talia vaguely threatens Riddler at the start and we pick up with Caroline committing murder. Then we get a decent amount of backup to explain how she got here. Basically going through therapy and Gotham, and she disappears in a cloud of smoke. Then Riddler sets a trap, which Cass helps out with. They save the women in the trap, one of which is Caroline, and she then makes Batman drop her and falls to her death, supposedly. It's a dark ending with Batman and Deb Donovan. In Gotham Girl, the murderer turns out to be Dr. Meridian's assistant, Margo. Turns out Talia is keeping tabs on Claire for some reason that will pop up in Batman vs. Robin. Pros are the amount of disorientation this book throws at you and the dark ending. Gotham is a good place for these messed up type of stories. Cons are that, even with the promise of further development, I do not care about the Gotham Girl story right now. I'm sorry. Also the story overall just seems to lack punch for me. Riddler barely felt worth the use in this and I just didn't enjoy it. This will get changed next time out with a new creative team. Now we have a look at The Joker number 15. The Joker as well as Punchline Stories Rap. I gave this a 3.75 out of 5. Jim is explaining to Batman what happened. He lays everything out. The network, working with the Court of Owls, the clones, the cannibals. Cressida trying to take down the network in the court and getting killed by Joker. And most importantly, how he didn't kill Joker. He reveals that Bane escaped with his clone daughter, Vengeance. Babs, meanwhile, has stopped her brother who is being used by the court as a talent. It's a satisfying end for Jim. In Punchline, she fights Bluebird, and it seems to spin off. Pros are how cool this story was from start to finish. I thought I was going to hate this book, but centering it on Jim was such a good call. It's also well-written around him too. Cons of the Punchline stuff. I'm usually done with Joker, as a character, but he's barely here, which is how he's most effective. But Punchline just irritates the fuck out of me. She's not even an interesting character to me. I won't be reading her spin-off stuff, thankfully. Last two books here, we have Robin number 15. Damien earns his parents' respect and starts an Island of Misfits. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. As the Bat family stops a bunch of criminal clowns, Talia escapes custody, and Batman and Robin go after her. Damien's parents try to make decisions for him despite him standing right there, but he opts to take his own path, which they have to accept. Turns out Talia was working for the D.E.O. as Robin starts a home for the misfit toys on Lazarus Island. As the book ends, Lord Deathman says Flatline has been trying to kill him. Pros are how, this was an easy breezy read, and I like the art style in this book. It's so quick and is paced very well. Cons are that it feels like there's a lot that won't get resolved in time for the fall Batman v. Robin crossover. Final book here, we have Task Force Z, number 9, Jason Keeps Burning Bridges. I gave this a 2 out of 5. Spoiler gives Jason some friendly advice, as Bloom and Langstrom make some progress. Jason and crew walk into a trap and get surprised by Sundowner. They get out of the initial trap and get confronted by a paramilitary group that seems to go badly. Meanwhile, Two-Face and Black Mask converse. Bane snaps and allows the team to escape, and when they get back to HQ, Jason and Black Mask exchange some words. Jason allows Hannah to go to her final rest as Bloom has used a little Venom concoction on Bane. Pros are the art and gruesome character designs. So much fun from that aspect. Cons are that I wasn't feeling this issue. There was stuff that I should have enjoyed, and it just didn't sit well with me. All right, here we go. We get to the new weekly ranking for this week, There are 24 books overall, so we have eight at a time. Here we go. In three, two, at number one, Batman, number 125, number two, Amazing Spider-Man, number five, number three, The Variants number one, number four, X-Men Red, number four, number five, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number two, number six, Dark Crisis, number two number seven dc versus vampires number seven and number eight she hulk number four in the second tier here at nine we have x-force number 29 at 10 we have black panther number seven at 11 we have joker number 15 at 12 we have avengers forever number seven at 13 we have jane foster and mighty thor number two at 14 we have cats in america symbol of truth number two at 15 we have robin number seven and at 16 we have batman catwoman number 12. And in the final tier this week, we have at 17 Iron Man Hellcat Annual number 1, at 18 Avengers number 57, at 19 Carnage number 4, at 20 DC vs. Vampires Killers number 1, at 21, Legion of X number 3, at 22 Action Comics number 1044, at 23 Detective Comics number 1061, and rounding out everything at number 24 Task Force Z number 9. As we start to wrap up, if you want to be on the show, hit us up on Twitter at SpiderMike29 or at the twisted cape looking ahead to next week i'm looking forward to reading from marvel hellfire gala number one they should really do that by year instead of numbers moon knight number 13 and daredevil number one from dc superman son of kal-el number 13 i am batman number 11 and batgirls number seven follow us on all socials youtube twitter facebook twitch instagram all at the twisted cape no spaces and a link is in the show notes we do a weekly show on YouTube and we stream on Twitch at least once a week. As far as all the others, if you follow us, we'll follow you in return. If you really like us and our shows, feel free to grab some of our merch from our Tee Public, which has a link in the show notes. Finally, feel free to shoot us feedback to this show at thetwistedcave at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in, so until next time, and Michael Keaton was my favorite Batman. Stay safe, wear a mask, please get that vaccine, and most importantly... Stay twisted. Part of the first half of this book is about the relationship between C